Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to your Business Power Hour, where international public speaker, best-selling author, and executive coach, Orly Amor, will help you build the ultimate power toolbox for your business and increase your bottom line. Here is your Business Power Hour host, Orly Amor. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is Orly's Business Power Hour, and it is a power hour, as you know, because I bring guests on this show that are powerhouses, mentors, and public figures to help you get to your maximum potential, both personally and professionally. I believe in paying it forward, so I created the Health and Wellness Network of Commerce with now chapters, get this, eight states and five countries. How exciting is that? I know it's a change from the last shows that you heard. And at the Health and Wellness Network of Commerce, our mission is to provide a platform for health and wellness professionals, practitioners, and resources to be introduced to corporate professionals providing a sustainable support system for both. Our mission is really to support and enhance your sustainable business. So if you want to know more about how to join this amazing network and get more exposure for your business, just visit www.h as in Harry, w as in welcome, n as in Nancy, c as in Charlie, c as in charlie.com. That is www.hwncc.com. So I've been bringing amazing guests on the show, and today is no different. Why is it not different? I think that sometimes we need to look at our business and get some thought-provoking questions answered. And today's guest, I am so excited to have him because our topic is very interesting. It's intellectual property issues for every small business. Ignore them at your own risk. It's like cross the street and your own risk. I really like this uh, topic. My guest today is uh, is uh, Stefan Soyanov, and for more than a decade, uh, Mr. Soyanov has represented businesses of all sizes in numerous aspects of intellectual property and business law. He has litigated high-stake p- patents, trademarks, and other intellectual property matters in federal and state courts. Mr. Soyanov has also counseled clients on numerous intellectual property and business issues and transactions, including intellectual property rights assessment, protection and valuation, mergers and acquisitions, franchising, investments, licensing, and others. He acts as an outside counsel for small businesses, helping them address everyday legal needs and protect and leverage their intellectual property. Prior to starting his own firm, Stoyanov Law PLLC, in early 2014, Mr. Stoyanov worked in several top national law firms. Before law school, Mr. Stoyanov developed a successful career as an engineer and programmer, writing software in various programming languages and engineering hardware and software systems in the fields of robotics, manufacturing automation, database management, and data collection, semiconductors, networking and communications, and graphical user interfaces. Mr. Skarnov is based in New York City. Thank you, Lord. And not only that, I am so glad to introduce him to you because, wow, that was a a, a mouthful, right? Welcome to the show, Stefan. Uh, Good morning, Orly. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, and thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. So um, I love the, the, the fact that you uh, mentioned that every business, big or small, uses and interacts with intellectual property on a daily basis. 
ignoring the potential issues associated with the use of intellectual property may lead to various obstacles and unexpected expenses for the business. Simple planning can reduce the risks and help businesses increase the value of their intellectual property. Now, that is so important. So tell me first, how did you even become involved with intellectual property law? Uh, that's an interesting question that goes back very far. I started programming when I was um, like probably early high school in the dark ages of the programming languages internet, internet late 20th century. And mm-hmm. um, ever since then, I've been really interested in computers, uh, programming, software, designing things. Eventually, I went to college and I graduated with an engineering degree from uh, Berkeley. And uh, having done that, started working in the industry, in the technology industry, during the first dot-com era in California, in the Silicon Valley. Did that for quite a few years. I, as you mentioned, I did a lot of programming, designing systems, uh, machinery, uh, graphical user interfaces that involved a lot more than just uh, software when we're talking about intellectual property. And... Um, did this for a good six years uh, during the dot-com boom and then the subsequent crash that uh, most of us now remember. Once that happened, I decided that I wanted to go and continue my education. Uh, One of the options that presented at the time was going into law school. As an engineer, that wasn't really something I had uh, contemplated very much, but after researching it for a while, I realized that um, going to law school would and staying within the intellectual property and technology field will allow me to continue to do what I like a lot, and namely being uh, interacting with technology and with uh, intellectual property aspects of the technology. Uh, at the time, the web, the web, yeah, the web was coming up in the mid '90s. Was the beginning when it started. A lot of a lot more issues beyond just simple software and technology were becoming apparent. You know, you're starting to deal with a lot of copyright infringement on the web, and so forth and so forth. And going to law school um, allowed me to remain in that area and yet advance my career in a, in a very different way, somewhat unexpected for me at the time. Once I finished uh, law school, and also I really had visited New York and wanted to come to New York uh, very much, so I went to law school upstate New York, to Cornell Law School. Once I finished it, that was a natural conduit to work in New York City, and I was very lucky to join some very, very strong, at the time, powerhouses in intellectual property and patent law. And uh, been doing this since uh, 2003, uh, as you mentioned, in uh, early year and a half ago, I started my own firm and continue to do the same thing what I, that I love. That's an amazing story. And, um, and I can tell your passion because I met you in person, and I can tell your passion for this industry and how important it is. And um, you're like me. You just like to help people and make sure that they are well protected. And I think that that's very important. So, um you mentioned already what your practice is today, but uh, so what is intellectual property? Well, intellectual property is an extremely broad term. That didn't yeah. exist until maybe 50, 60 years ago, maybe less. I don't recall the exact date. But this was a term coined by the World International Property Organization, 
when they passed several um, international treaties that they drafted, and then eventually there were signatories to that. And it was meant to cover um, everything that we know as intellectual property, that most people know anyway, the four general types, so the patents in, that cover inventions, you have copyrights that cover artwork and literature and creative works in general, you have trademarks, that uh, cover business identification like logos, brands, things like that. And then you have trade secrets that people are not as familiar with, but that also falls into the four basic category of uh, intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Now, in addition to those, intellectual property is actually quite more expansive. In a sentence, it would cover anything that an individual or a business, for that matter, creates through the intellect of the people who are involved, whether it's individual, several people in a business. It covers ideas. It covers uh, documents that are created. um, And anything that's intangible and has property, and has, I'm sorry, has value. So intangible property that has value. So um, it is hard to really uh, enumerate a list of what intellectual property is but it can be, as I said, the four basic types plus a broad range of other information and documents and other materials that have certain value for a business or even for an individual in some case. That's um, that's pretty interesting because, you know, sometimes we we are kind of ignorant to uh, what is out there. We hear the terms, but we're not sure of what it really means and where really we fit in into that. And since I represent many business owners and um, and people who are a part of the Health and Wellness Network, which are all solopreneurs of, 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 of many kind, and so it is so important to understand the concept of what or the terminology of what intellectual property really means. So uh, why should small businesses care? I mean, where where does that fit in? Any business should care, whether it's a small or large, uh, whether it's a, a sole practitioner, a single person running a website or selling widgets or giving massages to a multi-billion dollar business. And some of us may have, well, I, I hear it because it's my profession, but some other people may have heard about the constant lawsuits ongoing between, for example, Apple and Samsung and Google. And all these are centered on intellectual property. Uh, you said uh, something earlier that I may want to clarify a little bit. You said what these different types of intellectual property are, because uh, in my practice I sometimes uh, discuss with people that are non-lawyers, and uh, thankfully, <laughs> and they um, they know the term copyright, they know the term patent, they know the term trademark, they know the mm-hmm. term trade secrets, but they don't really know what that encompasses and what it means. So maybe I'll just uh, elaborate a little bit now please, what those please. things might cover, and then I'll answer your question directly. Okay. Um, copyright, for example, most people would think of a book, maybe a music piece, maybe a movie, but copyright also covers uh, a creative design of a logo. Copyright covers the actual arrangement of a web page. Uh, copyright uh, may, may cover a software written to run a program or an mm. application. 
it has a very, very, very broad uh, coverage. A famous case that we study in law school is the phone book. There was a copyright case a long time ago when there are actual physical hard copy phone books, and uh, <clears throat> And um, somebody, I don't remember the full details, but somebody was copying pieces of the phone book, and whoever the Bell Company was at the time uh, sued them. And they actually won. And the court at the time held that the arrangement of the the people in the phone book is uh, is copyrighted. The people, the names, the phone numbers are not, but the arrangement of them, the way they're organized, whether alphabetically or by region and so forth that's that's a copyright so you can wow. see how broad copyright could be trademark the basics most people will think of is uh the logo of the business the name of the business maybe maybe not the, the trademark has to be somewhat uh non-descriptive in other words you can't have a trademark of the name law firm because it describes what it is but mm. if you uh have a you can have a trademark of something that um in uh the old days in California there used to be an old commercial about the attack of the flying tomatoes for the people's lawyer and mm. that could possibly be a trademark because it's not exactly nobody's everybody's lawyer nobody's really the people's lawyer uh beyond that i had recently a conversation with a client who is very surprised that colors can be trademarked or a color scheme. And a famous example is uh, the UPS brown trucks. It's called Mm. UPS brown and it's trademarked. It really falls under the category of trade dress, but if you start driving a truck with the same color brown, you're guaranteed to get in trouble. Mm. Uh, Patents most people know that they cover inventions. Um, I'm not going to go into very much detail into that, but um, it can be just a simple idea that you have. It ha- you have to be able to build it. You have to know how to do it. It has to have some usefulness, and it has to be novel in terms of nobody else has done the specific element that you're patenting. And then you have trade secrets that are somewhat misunderstood because a trade secret could be any confidential information that cannot be quickly generated from the public domain and that gives you some value to your business. For example, competitive advantage, competitive value. Um, The way to manufacture a particular widget Maybe a trade secret if you keep it confidential and if it's really better or or at least gives you competitive advantage. Um, a specific type of customer okay, list. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off. So we, hold that thought. We're going to come back to trade secrets in a minute. Uh, okay. Let me just let uh, people who are just listening in, who just come to join us, let's let them know who you are. So we are talking to... Stefan Stoyanov from Stefan uh, from StoyanovLaw.com. Intellectual property issues for every small business. Ignore them at your own risk. Um, if you want to reach Stefan, you can just call two one two six zero three one three three eight, and you can visit his website at www.stoyanovlaw.com. 
um, every we are talking to um, to Stefan about intellectual property because every business, big or small, uses and interacts with intellectual property on a daily basis, and ignoring the potential issues associated with use of intellectual property may lead to various obstacles and unexpected expenses for the business. Simple planning can reduce the risk and help businesses increase the value of their intellectual property. So Stefan has been sharing with us what is intellectual property and why is it needed, but then there were variations of what intellectual property is. Uh, you know, some people know trademarks, some people know what copyright means, and, and, and he's been explaining them one by one. So we are up to the one where we are explaining trademarks. So, um, Stefan, thank you again for being on the show, and please continue with the trademark explanation of what exactly that means. Yeah, thank you, Orly. Um uh, the question I was actually answering is why should small businesses care about intellectual property, but before I could answer this, I wanted to give a somewhat of a brief cover explanation of what each one could cover. The awesome. answer may become somewhat apparent from that. So I was talking about uh, trade secrets, and that is uh, usually, not usually, but always confidential information for a business that give that has value to the business and usually gives it some competitive advantage as i mentioned um one type is specific info customer information that also has some additional information about the relationship for example like pricing as long as that information is not publicly available that could be a trade secret at the very least this is proprietary confidential information um a business plan for a business that is not made public that is strictly kept confidential, that could be a trade secret or at the very, very least proprietary information. And it go, the list goes on and on and on. So I can't cover everything in uh, the short time we have. But to get back to your initial question is businesses should care because every one of those things, we come into interaction every day. Why? Well, if you have a computer and you use software, Microsoft Word, for example, you come in interaction with intellectual property. There's a licensing agreement that you have to follow. If you have home and business, and I'll touch up on that a little bit, if you have home and student but you use it for business, you could get in trouble. Businesses should care, and how businesses care, it's also somewhat different depending on the business type, the business size, what stage of their development they are. Early on, for small businesses and startups, by definition, very small businesses, um, it's important to focus on risk prevention. In those, type, in those times, a small cost, a small obstacle can derail the entire business. Some, somebody says you're seasoned as this letter because you're using their trademark or thinks you've copied something on the web from their website. Something like that, a big business with revenue can deal quickly, it will be a nuisance. For a small business, that might stop them in their tracks for a startup. Um, later, so this is what I call risk prevention early on. Later, when the business starts growing, generating revenue, then it's time to focus without ignoring the risk issues. It's time to focus on value generation and protecting the value that you have in your intellectual property whether it's your brand and you want to make sure that nobody can free write on it, whether it's marketing materials and website and everything you've written, whether it's a particular type of business strategy that you've developed over the years and you're keeping it confidential. This, these are types that 
if a competitor gets a hold of them, or sometimes not a competitor, just uh, somebody randomly steals it, and you're known for it, your business is known for it, this is automatic dilution of uh, your business name, reduction in value, <clears throat> and... Um, and it can and it can be expensive to fight these things, and then for many businesses, very often in the creative or technology area, there comes a point at which you can start generating revenue from your intellectual property. You can license your writings to somebody to republish. You can build affiliate program with your name attached to it. You can franchise depending on what your business model is. You can have patents that you can license. Uh, and so forth. So it is um, every business first has to protect itself because intellectual property issues come up on a daily basis, and I've seen it with very small businesses very frequently when they uh, suddenly receive a cease and desist letter from a bigger company or get sued, and they just don't know what to do. And uh, uh, and, I don't remember the exact proverb, but an ounce of prevention early on can really help a lot. You never eliminate all the risk, but you can definitely reduce it by starting early on. And um, it will help you create value in your business, in your um, intellectual property. And depending on what it is, you may even start generating money from it. So I really like, um, you know, I watch uh, Shark Tank a lot and uh, <laughs> almost every week religiously. And um, it's really interesting that they talk about licensing because they see the value and the money that can be made through that. But I'm assuming that a company needs to be very well established or is it, uh, you know, because there are some myths about licensing. People are thinking, okay, I need to wait till I am a big company and I have all this in place and so would you shed a light on that, or are you not allowed to? I just want to make sure that you come out. Well, no, I can uh, give you some general thoughts on that. Um, no, you don't have to be a big company in order to benefit from uh, your intellectual property. Um, many inventors are individuals, and they have a little, well, some, I guess, have a little workshop where they tinker and come up with ideas, and they patent them, and then they license them. To bigger companies. And, pat and pat patenting is is uh, is really a long process, right? I mean, well, it, 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 uh, it depends. It depends how. Sorry to interrupt you. It depends how you define long. It can take uh, three years, give or take. Sometimes longer. I've seen patents that drag on for many more years than three. In some cases, if it's a groundbreaking um, invention that nobody has done before, it can be a lot faster. But but it is on the order of years, not months. Okay, well, it's it's not months, that's for sure. Okay, that, that's, a good, that, that's a good answer for me to know. Um, so I really see why high-tech companies, book and music publishers, and similar should care about intellectual property what about other businesses that seemingly do not have heavy, uh, heavily interact with intellectual property? And I have a twofold to that question because, uh, okay, so we talked about other businesses, and at the same time is a, um, uh, you know, I have non-compete and non-disclosures with my employees, and that's because I don't want them to copy what I have and go give it to somebody that does 
same business basically as a as a public speaker and a coach. So can you explain and answer that in a twofold? Oh yeah, yeah, of course. And I slightly alluded to that earlier, but um yeah. if you if you use a computer, you have intellectual property issues with third parties. As I mentioned, you use software. That software comes with a specific license. If you violate that license, you may be in trouble. Any business has a logo or a brand, and that's its trademark. Mm -hmm. If you don't check up front to make sure that nobody else is using it, you're at a risk of um, somebody coming after you and uh, telling you to stop your business. Now, if you're a small business with very little marketing materials and very local, that may not be a big problem. Rebranding is easy. If you're advertising on the Internet and you have a ton of marketing materials out there with a website, that can create a bigger problem. Mm. Um, if if you have a website, as I, you have a computer, If one thing, if you have a website, then you have a lot of your own IP that you created, a lot of copyrights on it, a lot of um, logos, brands that that you run your business under. Excuse me. If you run a business of any kind, you probably, hopefully, you have a business plan that is better than anybody else's, or so you hope, and you're keeping it confidential. Well, you don't want your competitor to find it, and that's intellectual property that you have to be protective of. Um, and you're doing it very, you're doing a very good uh, uh, job with having your non-disclosure agreements, non-compete agreements. Um, later on, maybe we can touch up on some how to steps that people could take or businesses could take. Um, <clears throat> but you also have to be careful because uh, non-competes, for example, in order for them to be enforceable, they have to be very narrow. Narrowly, you cannot um, deprive somebody of their livelihood by by not allowing them to practice their profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, non-disclosure, confidentiality agreements, assignment agreements, those are important um, because that's a contract, and they know that what you have created it's your copyright, and they cannot take it and use it for themselves. With employees, when they create an article or um, some kind of a creative work, uh, photographies or things like that, normally that would be considered work for hire. In some cases it may not be, so that will belong to the company. But if you hire an outside contractor to do something for you, then that's not necessarily true, and they may own the copyright to what they're doing for you. So having a good contract to set the rights and who owns what is very important. Very interesting. So is there any more examples that you can give us before we go on break, maybe one example of of this type of of intellectual property issues that have affected small businesses more? Well, I can give you many examples. (laughs) Okay, so give us one before the break, and then we'll uh, we'll let those who are just listening in, we'll let them know who you are and what we're talking about, and then we'll continue. Okay. And one example for a very non-tech business, they do have a website, however, and it's a dog walking company. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm simplifying a lot but um one they had a lot of customers 
their customers liked them a lot. They published the customer's um, reviews on their website. Mm. Eventually, one of their employees left, started mm -hmm. another business, doing more or less the same thing. Mm -hmm. The two parties are now in litigation because the former employee is publishing um, customers' uh, reviews from the former employer website, which could or could not be copyright infringement. Wow. Also, the the former employee knew of the um, customer list, and wow. that may or may not be also intellectual property infringement, depending on contractual <clears throat> excuse me, contractual uh, dealings between the two. It could be just confidential information, which, which he was not entitled to. could be a trade secret, depending on what was contained in that customer list. Either way, mm -hmm. they're in litigation right now. Who will prevail? I don't know yet. Um, I'm not handling this case. But um, So this is a very non-tech, non-publishing type of company that ran into intellectual property issues. Yeah, and what's funny is that nobody would think that a dog-walking company would have any type of intellectual property. And here you are letting us know how simple it may be. Uh, and it's maybe not that simple, except that in thought-provoking um, issue, it is, it is. It's something that we would not think about. And now we can apply it to our own businesses and, and look at everything that we need to look at and be more hands-on because this is very important stuff. So um, to our listeners who are just tuning in, um, Mr. we are talking to Stefan Stoyanov, and he is um, he has represented businesses of all sizes in numerous aspects of intellectual property and business law. He has litigated high-stakes patents, trademark, and other intellectual property matters in federal State and uh, federal state courts. Um, Mr. Stoyanov has also counseled clients on numerous intellectual property and business issues and transactions, including intellectual property, rights, and, uh, rights assessment, protection and valuation, mergers and acquisitions, franchising, investments, licensing, and other. He acts as an outside counsel for small businesses, helping them address everyday legal needs and protect and leverage their intellectual property. Um, if you want to call uh, Mr. Sparinov, you can call him at 212-603-1338. You can also visit his website, www.stoyanovlaw.com. And I know I didn't spell it earlier because it's I am saying it really quickly. So it's S like in Sam, T as in Thomas, O as in Orange, Y as in Yellow, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy, O as in Orange, V as in Victor, L A W for Law dot com. Uh, Stefan, thank you so much for being on the show. I mean, like we have, we are learning so much, and and it's so thought provoking. Where we need to look at our business, look at what we do have. And uh, and take charge of it, or else somebody else can take it, can use it, and the litigation to gain all that back can be very expensive. So we don't want to go there. Uh, so what intellectual property could be relevant to um, a small business? Like, I know that you gave us already one story, so maybe we can give uh, a few more examples that are different uh, in different businesses. Yes, of course. Thank you, Arlie. Thank you for the the nice introduction again uh <clears throat> excuse me uh 
Uh, we, we talked about the dog walker company that ran into um, various copyright and confidential and proprietary information issues with a former employee. Um, a startup recently, uh, I had a discussion with, and this, they're a technical startup, but that can go for just about any business that wants to build a website. Uh, they have had a lot of uh, people build their websites over the over the time that since they started because somebody comes and leaves, can't complete the project and so forth. And then at some point, they're left with asking themselves, well, so who owns the web, our website at the end of the day? Can somebody go out, one of the developers across, and then build the same thing? That question is not easy to answer without a contract. And it's sometimes they didn't have such a contract. So that, that could be a big problem because a contractor, outside vendor, would normally keep the copyright to what they're developing, whether it be a website or um, an article. On the other hand, if they're treated as an employee, then it will be work for hire and the company will own it. So right now, these that particular company is dealing with an issue where we have to make sure that a, we own our website and all the software that was written for us because once nobody cares when they're small, but once they become big, then everybody comes after them for money. And B, going forward, they have to make sure that whenever they hire somebody, whether it will be on a contractual basis or as an employee, they incorporate specific assignment provisions in their contracts for the intellectual property, that anything they develop is for the company. Another issue I had to deal with recently was um, a blogger. This goes now more into the area of where you would expect to find copyright and trademark issues, but a blogger started her own blog with a particular phrase that it was named, and um, she thought she owned the trademark because she had used it in a personal uh, business sense. However, she was employed by a magazine at the same time while she was using that in a personal sense. And eventually the magazine liked it, and she started publishing for the magazine under the same phrase and identifier. Mm. So when she left the magazine and started on her own, eventually she started becoming popular, and the magazine decided that was their trademark, and then, then they sued her. Now, this is a single person. She's a freelancer. She can't handle a major litigation. Had she spoken to an attorney beforehand, maybe a little bit of uh, consultation and work would have sa could have saved her a lot more money later. Um, wow. So the the areas that intellectual property and I, by intellectual property for those who join early, I also include any kind of proprietary information too, because it. It is usually intangible that are created by the intellect, whether it's individual or the combined intellect of a business. It's extremely broad, and it can be logos. I'll just kind of do a laundry list of what I can think right now. It will be logos, branding material, the business name, domain names, marketing material, the website content, whether the whole website as a whole or the individual article, images, presentations, the software programs that the business creates or uses, whether it's Microsoft Word or it's an application that the business develops. All this is intellectual property subject to certain licenses. Uh, a lot of the hardware that people use is subject to also certain intellectual property licenses. Um, 
professional subscription to newsletters. This is actually something that is a big, well, an old case now, uh, where a financial institution was subscribing to a paid newsletter for uh, uh, one or two users in the institution, and then internally they were redistributing it. And that's, that happens in, in a lot of companies. You get one mm-hmm. subscription, and then you send it to several people, one department or sometimes the whole business if it's a small business. Mm-hmm. Well, the publisher sued them and won quite a few million dollars for copyright infringement on top of because violation of the license. Yeah. I'm sorry? Because it's- because they copied everybody else on the on the correct system. each instance of the enough because if you have a license for one user, whether it be mm-hmm. for a newsletter or for Microsoft Word, and mm-hmm. you let more people read it or use it, each one of those is copyright infringement. Wow! Because it creates yeah. a new copy. Yes. And some of the things that you're talking about are really like common practices. People do this, and they just don't know the ramifications or the Im- implications with them using this common, uh, you know, thing. Like if if it's you know if I'm doing it in my house, then nobody, it's not in my business, and it's just in my house. And if I want to uh, copy it or or um, give my my husband access, I'll give you an example. Well, then that's a copyright infringement, except that. You know, if nobody knows about it kind of a thing. Now, so people do these things without thinking it through, and that can have some uh, really serious ramifications. Is that what you're explaining? Because I really love the way that you're no, explaining No, I'm not explaining like, that. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to scare everybody into uh, <laughs> showing things to their husbands and loved ones at home. No. <laughs> I mean, I don't – I do not encourage you to download – unauthorized and unlicensed things off the Internet for personal use. Mm-hmm. But uh, what I'm talking about is specifically in a business and commercial use. Okay. So what I was referring to is a financial institution, and this was a financial newsletter. And right. they had one or two or five. I don't recall the exact. This was before I became a lawyer case. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Um, they were distributing it to many other people within the organization. Mm-hmm. Not allowed to do that unless your license allows you to do it. That's why it's important to know when you purchase something, when you subscribe, what you're allowed to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Another example, um, nobody reads their Word software agreement, the end user license agreement. Right. And people should. It's not that long. If if you're running a business, make sure you have a business type of edition, professional, whatever it is, not home and student. Um, mm. A company, that she, they are in the technical field, but that's irrelevant because everybody uses Microsoft products these days, or it could be any other product. It doesn't have to be Microsoft that come with a somewhat restrictive license. And uh, a former disgruntled employee can uh, decide, oh, I'll tell them these guys – a pirating software, so I'll call Microsoft. And sure enough, these the people I'm referring to received a call from Microsoft saying, we have information that you're using improper software, improperly mm-hmm. licensed software. Well, luckily, they had all their licenses. turned out that they are running business. A few of their licenses were only home and student. Uh, so they had to pay additional licensing fees, Some n- not something that will derail their business, but they've been going on for a while. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, but if they hadn't, 
would have been a lot worse if they were using a version that they didn't have a license for at all. And that can happen when you transfer computers or you inherit or you have your old computer from way back when. It's like, oh, wait, I have a home and student edition. Or I, I have an edition, but I don't even know where it came from. Well, I'll still use it for my business. Normally, mm-hmm. nothing will happen until something happens. Right. <laughs> and and uh, it's rare. I don't want to scare people into thinking, oh, my God, this is, I'm going to be run out of business tomorrow. No. It doesn't happen often, but it happens. And the reduction of the risk, for that, it's easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a lot of money. And you can reduce that risk of those things happening. Mm-hmm. It's th- th- That's why I'm bringing it up. And as right. I said earlier, when you're small, nobody really goes after you and nobody sues you. But once you start making money, the more money you make, the more people want to go after you. And if you've done your homework early on when you're small, when it's inexpensive to do all your intellectual property planning and business planning, then you're in a much better position to fight off people that are after after your business's success. Right, which is very important, especially, uh, you know, a lot of the solopreneurs are very aspiring to make it big, and, you know, it's sometimes you've got to go through the grind for, for a few years, and then, and then boom, you, you become big, and there, you know, there you have it, you you start not being well prepared and and you and there are some things that actually are overlooked and this is where you come in and I, I told you earlier I really like the fact that you explain things in such layman words and and make sure that everybody understands it because the terminology of you know legal terminology or legal jargon is not for everyone and not everybody gets it so I, I really appreciate the way that you explain things um, earlier you mentioned risk reduction. Can you elaborate on it? Yes, of course. Uh, we've been talking uh, mostly about that so far. But yes. um, there, well, before you, we, you talk about risk reduction, one thing that almost every business should do is take account of what they have and what they use. And that would include, as I mentioned, uh, their logos, business name, domain names, software they use, marketing materials that they've created or somebody has created for them, um, employee, if they have employees, uh, their employees' uh, employment agreements, whether their employees work for other people prior or not, uh, whether that person was a competitor. It, the, the list is really, really long. So we can, but they, what I'm getting at, you need to know what you have in terms of that may affect your intellectual property rights. So when we talk about risk reduction, we need to look into what are the risks to your company, either from outside sources that think you infringe their intellectual property, and sometimes from stealing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the products that a company would use, they generally would fall into three categories. One is the off-the-shelf products, like we talked earlier, whether it would be PDF, Adobe PDF Creator or some publishing software or word processing. And those are important. They're quick to check. Do you have the proper license? Is it business or is it home use? If you're, where are you, if you're working abroad, does, do you have the territorial license? Is it just United States or not? If you have more than one or two people using the same software, do you have the proper number of users licensed? And things like that. Those are generally simple to check. It doesn't take much, 
and it could help a lot. The second category is information that uh, is created for your business. And uh, if you create it, you have to be careful. There the are few things that you need to be aware of. First, whether you own what is created for you. Mm-hmm. So, second thing is whether you, there's risk of contamination with somebody else's IP, and I'll elaborate on that a little bit. And the third one is whether what you're doing will infringe somebody else's rights. Mm-hmm. So owning by you, by your business, if you're okay. doing it yourself, yeah. I, I just want to interrupt for a second because I want to let our listeners know, like we're, we're, believe it or not, we're already on the last quarter of our show. And I know everybody thinks this. Every time I say we're on the last quarter of our show, they're like, already? And I'm like, yeah, already. You know, <laughs> um, we are talking to um, Stefan Stoyanov from Stoyanov Law, and if you want to call him, you can call him at one two one two six zero three one three three eight. We are talking about intellectual property issues for small business. Ignore them at your own risk. And um, the overall consensus was that every. Every business, big or small, uses and interacts with intellectual property on a daily basis. Ignoring the potential issues associated with the use of intellectual property may lead to various obstacles and unexpected expenses for the business. Simple planning can reduce the risks and help businesses increase the value of their intellectual property. Now, Stefan, we have been talking about what is intellectual property. Why should small businesses care? Why do, you know, just high-tech and book music, everybody is using it, but why is it important for small businesses, such as non-competes and non-disclosure, and how it's used, and what are the uh, cases out there and stories that you've been telling us that made us think about how simple it may be and how uh, a broad of a problem it can cause, which is important to to get to that that um, um, uh, due diligence done within the company while we are small because it doesn't cost much and because it's it's very effective when we grow that you know and we're making a lot of money. This is where we become vulnerable to people suing us for all different things, but being protected in the early stages can really help uh, minimize that risk. And now you've been talking to us about um, uh, about how all this comes together. So please continue. Uh, we are just about uh, 15 minutes away from the end of our show. So please, yes. thank, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, we're talking specifically what are the risks and how can you reduce it. And the first thing I said is uh, when you develop any type of materials for your business, whether it will be your website, articles, marketing material, software, books, pictures, a- anything you can think of. Literally, I'm mm-hmm. not exaggerating here. You need to make sure it's owned by your company. You do this mm-hmm. with un- either employment or contract agreement, master services agreement if you provide services, and make sure you have the proper clauses in there that says that whatever you develop for me is mine and you have no rights over it. Mm-hmm. So Another, um, yeah. yeah, I have a question here from a listener, so i got to ask you that before we continue. Yep. Uh, what about when you pay for a newsletter use and you keep using it over and over? Can that be a violation of intellectual property? Um. I, I'm afraid to say yes or no to this question. If you have a license 
and you are the user that is licensed, it shouldn't be. However, it will really depend on what the license terms are. And I have another question. Uh, when we are talking about non-compete and non-disclosure, so every employee in the company does different things, can the, the non-compete and non-disclosure be uh, one for all, or does it have to be particularly for each, uh, for, for each function within the company? Uh, huh. it, it doesn't have to be for every function within the company. It can be somewhat generalized. How okay. generalized would really depend not only on what the people do, but also on their position within a company. The more senior the person, the more and the more money they make, or especially when they leave, mm -hmm. the, the more restrictive a non-compete could be. Um, and, and this again, I'm speaking in relative terms because I don't know any of the specific facts, so I'm not able to uh, provide any advice. But um, it, it depends. Okay, sounds good. So let's continue about intellect. Um, you know about risk reduction. You were you were on that path, right? So the other issue after making sure you own your materials and documents and information. Mm -hmm. It's uh, make sure that what you own and use doesn't infringe on others. In other words, does your logo or uh, name of a company, is, is it used by somebody else that was using it before you? Did mm -hmm. somebody who developed, uh, who wrote your marketing articles, if it's an outside writer or contractor, did they uh, copy something from another article and, without permission? and therefore created copyright infringements. Uh, these are things that need to be taken into account. Usually, in order to for trademarks, business name, logos, you can do a quick search online. To, if, if it's important, you should probably hire somebody to do a more in-depth search in the United States uh, and ca Canadian and sometimes worldwide trademark databases to make sure that you don't infringe on anybody. Uh, with materials that somebody develops for you, you should have in the services agreement that you hire them certain warranties and representations and indemnification clauses that they promise you that they're not using anybody else's IP, and if they did, they will have to identify in some way. There's another risk that some people are not aware of, but what we call contamination. Let's say you or your employee used to work for a competitor. Mm -hmm. writing articles, or, mm. and then they come working for you. Mm -hmm. If they create materials for you, use, I keep using marketing articles, the other obvious one is software, but let's, and they use materials that they created for their previous employer, those pieces may very well be owned by the previous employer. Mm. And then you can get in trouble. Your IP, even though you may own the entire thing, it's contaminated with the rights of another person or another company. Wow. These are things that you need to take into account of. Uh, it's, it's difficult to know everything, but a little bit of questions with the employees before you hire them or contractors. The correct contracts or the appropriate drafting of a contract can certainly reduce those risks. One thing I want to emphasize, you can never, ever eliminate risk. There are no guarantees, but That's you right. can reduce it mm -hmm. with a little bit of resources early on, whereas mm -hmm. later on it can become very expensive. Right. 
So we have about five or six minutes uh, till the end of our show. Can Are there any steps that businesses can take to protect themselves? I know we talked about it earlier on, but we'll, we'll, we'll circle back, and here we are circling back. Uh, right. Can you give, yeah, thank you. Right. It's what we have been talking. Make sure you sit down and identify everything you have, what license agreements, business plans, marketing plans, financial information, employee contracts, websites, software that you use. And I'm talking about materials, not just that you created, that you use in your business on a regular basis. Once you have that, things will start emerging. Okay, so do I have a license to use this particular software? Great. Okay, so these are my trademarks. Should I register them? These are my copyrights. Should I register them? My articles, these are the copyright, the pictures, the arrangement of the website. All of, once you know what you have, it's a lot easier to start figuring out how to protect yourself. These are my mm-hmm. trademarks. Let me do a search to figure out if somebody else is using something similar. Best way to do it before you start the business. But if you haven't done it, always never too late to do it. Better late than never. Well, so, uh, it, it's uh, creating a IP plan, or a bit could be part of your business plan. It can be very small with a few points. It can be very extensive depending on what your needs are. If you think that once you identify your materials, you would think that, oh, my God, some of these things have potential to be licensed out later on. I can make a lot of money. You better start planning for that early on. Some things, uh, you know, this is maybe don't need to register that. It's not really mm-hmm. bringing me too much. You Once you organized and put a plan down, you would know. What mm-hmm. or well, you would know, or you should consult with an intellectual property attorney to right. figure it out. But um, right. taking steps early on can greatly reduce your exposure later. That's amazing, um, and thank you for that. So you also mentioned increasing the value of a business intellectual property. What do you mean by that? How would one go about it? And can businesses really profit from their intellectual property and how? So I know I've like just filled out like four questions and asked you to answer <laughs> that in a couple of minutes. But you know what? Let's let's give the gist of it for our listeners, and I'm sure that if and we'll repeat how they can uh, contact you right afterwards. Right. So um, I, I kind of mentioned that in the previous uh, question. Mm-hmm. Once you know what you have, you would know. Or, or you can investigate if certain things can have a value. By value, I mean if, you're tra- if your business is successful and people recognize you because of your logo, that has an inherent value to your business. If you one day decide to sell your business because you want to get out, whether it's a tech company that somebody will buy for $100 million or, or a service company that does massages and people call you because of your logo and you want to sell it for a few thousand dollars, either way, that that. Mm-hmm create gives a goodwill to the company that creates value so you need to decide whether to protect it in terms of registration whether you need to enforce it go out and see if other other people whether former employees or just somebody that doesn't know you say oh i like that let me use mm-hmm. that whether to go out and search for other people that are using it and diminishing your goodwill in the old dark ages of the 60s and 70s and 80s of the 20th century, companies' value was probably 10 to 30% intellectual property. Today, mm-hmm. it's probably 
for a normal non-tech or online company, it's still probably about 50%. And for you know, obviously for companies that do business on the internet or tech companies in the 80s and 90s percent, the value of uh, of the company. And to make money, what to profit from it aside from creating value, if you want to sell the business, which definitely still making money, but if you have uh, very good articles that you may want to have republished or maybe people will be interested in republishing and for and paying you for it. If you're a writer, you, you do that. If you have great ideas, maybe you have a patent that you can license out, the invention to other people to do it. it it's diff- that, though, you, you, if you're a successful business with a recognizable brand, you can create an affiliate network or a franchise network. Mm-hmm. This is the type of profit you can get from your intellectual property because it's the recognition of your business, mm-hmm. like McDonald's or Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. You know, anybody mm-hmm. can make burgers. People go there because they recognize McDonald's name. Mm-hmm. Okay, wow. So um, in conclusion, uh, what would you, um, like if you had one thought to share with everyone that will spark the uh, i think urgency in my in my in my opinion that's my personal opinion the urgency of really getting your ducks in a row kind of a thing of where your intellectual property and i know you've covered many many things that are you know can be the thought provoking uh important things to get started with but if there was one thing you had to choose from everything you said what would it be Take a look at what you do. If you have a business plan, which you should, incorporate a little bit in there in terms of intellectual property, in terms of proprietary information, logos, and software, and website that you use, and don't ignore it. Revisit it frequently because it could save your business. But I don't want to scare anybody, so I just want to make sure what I'm talking about. I'm a lawyer. I deal with conflict. So when these things happen... They don't happen very frequently, but they do happen. I understand. Well, uh, we are talking to Stefan Soyanov from Soyanov Law, and you can reach him at Stefan at Soyanovlaw.com or visit his website at www.soyanovlaw.com, and phone number is 212-603-1338. I want to thank you, Stefan, for being a part of the show today. Thank you for for taking the time and giving us all this amazing information. Uh, I want to thank our listeners for being uh, for being a part of the show, and I hope you enjoyed this show and that you'll come back next time and listen to our show. Remember that if you're having a bad day, change it, and if you're having a good day, share it. I'll see you all next time. Have a good one. Thank you.